beginning of the quarter, the sales leader might say, get to know your customer, you know, find out more about them, engage with them in a meaningful way. And then two weeks before the end of the quarter, it's like, get the sale, quick, close the deal. <laughs> and, and, you know, this poor sales rep will just try to close the deal and put pressure on the customer and the customer will be getting a different experience than they had at the beginning of the quarter. It confuses the hell out of people and actually this enchants a lot of buyers who don't want to be pressured into buying something just because it's an arbitrary deadline for the seller. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Peter Strokorb. Peter is a sales acceleration expert and author of a book titled Smarketing, Sell Smarter, Not Harder, for CEOs, business leaders, sales executives, and marketing leaders who want to boost sales performance. In our conversation, Peter and I talk about why he believes that modern business-to-business buyers, B2B buyers, don't like being sold to any longer, and why B2B buyers' tolerance for cold solicitations is completely exhausted. So we dive into why buyers, rather than being ambushed, now want to be educated, guided, and advised by someone, a seller, who they perceive as a subject matter expert, a trusted advisor, to help them make informed purchase decisions. We dig into how sellers need to adjust their selling process to reflect their buyer's buying process. And then Peter and I dive into his 10 steps in his marketing buyer-focused sales funnel. Not sales-centric sales funnel, but buyer-focused sales funnel. So we get into that and much, much more. Before we get to Peter, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Peter, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Andy. Very great to be here again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, this is uh, you and I have been enacting our own version of Groundhog Day, the Absolutely. movie. Yep, because yep. And, and nothing to had, do with the pandemic either. <laughs> no, we've, we've, we've been trying to record this interview for a long time, and we've encountered one series of problems after another uh, that seem to be uniquely just you and mine, yours and mine. Yeah, um, I feel lucky. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, this is uh, we we know exactly what we're going to talk about because we've talked about it before. It just didn't make it onto the air. So, absolutely. Uh, our our inside joke here. So, all right. So you've got a new book out. Yes. Um, so, marketing sell smarter, not harder. Absolutely. And yeah. that sounds like a a good thing for sellers to do. Though it seems like managers are sort of intent on making sure they continue to sell, <laughs> sell harder, not smarter. You know, in terms of their focus on, yeah. you know, the behaviors and the activity metrics and so on. That that, you know, it's it, they all seem sort of quaint now. But it, it's yeah, we're still doing it. Look, I, I, Andy, I can't believe it either. It's it's nearly 2022, and, and we're still behaving like it's 1998, right? Um, well, I. I'd go back further. I'd say we're still behaving like it's uh, 1898. <laughs> well, eight, interestingly, 1898 is, is the year that the traditional sales funnel was invented. Yeah. The, the original, yeah, Watson at NCR, yes. Yeah, the, 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 the original sales funnel saying, you know, we're putting leads into the top, we nurture them, we, we uh, advance the sale, and in the end, the sale drops out. That, that stems back from an era before the internet and from when sellers had all the information <laughs> and buyers had none, right? Right. So, well, so, and it's 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 you know, if you ever do a, a Google search of you know sales process, 
and you get these hundreds of thousands of returns and you look at the way the sales processes from you know supposedly modern companies are are laid out excuse me are laid out and <laughs> look like okay well that's this has been around for 100 years this has been around for 100 years just because we're automating portions of it doesn't mean it's modern yeah exactly so for 123 years we've been using a model that stems from way before the internet and 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 yeah. and, and we're still using it today you know, and we mm-hmm. still have um, sales accepted, uh, marketing uh, qualified leads and sales accepted leads and, and a big gap in between. And, you know, blame, uh, marketing is blaming sales that are not, not following up those good leads that they're producing. And sales are saying, well, your leads are no, no good. Otherwise, we would be following them up. And there's still a lot of finger pointing going on. And, and everybody's focused on what they want to sell and how they want to sell. And the buyer or the customer or the client is kind of a bit of an afterthought at the end of the funnel. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, they're going, uh, hello, that's me over here. <laughs> can, you, can you pay attention to me? Well, it's true, though. I mean, so back to this Google search I talked about, as doing a lot of the sort of research into sales processes for a book I've been working on. And it's like, <laughs> it's just nothing to do with the buyer. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about the seller. It's all our linear stage-based processes. And it's like, yeah, how does any of this help your buyer make their decision? Hmm. Well, well, I understand it gives you, I was going to say, I understand it gives you a framework to to report on what you're doing, but it doesn't relate to what they're doing. No, look, the the traditional sales funnel is a sales tool. So it's sales management tool. It's it's there to to measure your internal processes and your progress in terms of revenue attainment. But as, as you say, Andy, it, it's got nothing to do with the customer. The customer doesn't even, even come into it until ka-ching, ka-ching, maybe some dollars drop out, right? But the, um, the thing is that that's still how salespeople are being driven, managed, and measured right now. And, yeah. and, and nobody wants to change the model because we're all racing to the end of the quarter, the end of the month, or the end of the financial year. Exactly. And, and exactly. nobody wants to change the wheels on the car while it's moving, Yeah. You know? By the way, Tiffany Bova gave me that line. <laughs> <laughs> He's referring to Tiffany because I interviewed her right before I, today, just before I was interviewing Peter here. Yes, and 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 so I'm what what I'm trying to do is to start sort of a mini revolution in sales, and and that mm-hmm. is let's let's all be a little bit smarter. And and by the way, the pandemic is an ideal catalyst for change, right? Because all the sure. things all the things we got away with before the pandemic are no longer tolerated by the buyers. You know, but they don't like to be emailed with unsolicited spam to just to, to create a lead. They don't like to be um, um, cold called with somebody who has no idea whether we're even in the market for the thing that they're selling. They, they don't like to be connected with somebody on LinkedIn only for them to hit them up with a sales pitch right away. But by the way, right. there's a term that I learned from the Americans and that's called pitch slapping. So, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, pitch slapping, yes. yes. I just heard that not too long ago myself. <laughs> so, so if somebody links in with you and then hits you up with a sales pitch, you're being pitch slapped <laughs> with a P. Yeah. I know. I, I, I have to make sure to write that down because I got to tell somebody that one. That's, that's, I'd forgotten all about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, what I'm saying is that, that nobody likes these old methods of lead gen and, and, and what sales companies yeah, often do, do it. Is, is just because the, it doesn't work anymore, we do more of it. Which is insane, right? And and the the thing that gets me totally sorry, I'm just jumping on my um, well, soapbox here. <clears throat> the thing that gets me is that if we spam ten thousand people in the hope that two might be interested, 
there'll be 9,998 people that uh, may be totally cheesed off by a cold outreach. So we're actually ruining it, ruining yes. it for, for the rest of the, 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 the sellers out there. And, and make the buyers retreat further and further into their tortoise shell and say, leave me alone. No matter what you're selling, I'm not interested, simply because they're being bombarded with junk every day. So let's be a bit smarter about that. So cold calling has been declared dead hundreds of times before, uh, and yet it's still here. And it doesn't sound like it's going away anywhere time soon. Well, so f- firstly, more is not better. More is just more. More is just more. Right. Secondly, that is true. Secondly, the cold calling is in, by itself is not bad. It's the cold that's bad, not the calling. Right. And so if you're a business owner, and you are, and you have a challenge in your business, and you would love somebody to call you and give you the answer to the problem that you have. Problem is, nobody rings with the answer. <laughs> They, they all they all ring with a sales pitch. Like, we, we, here's John from so-and-so and so-and-so, and we do this and we have that. And they talk about themselves and you're still wondering why they're calling you. And after about 15 or 30 or 20 seconds max, you go like, what the hell? Why am I still t- listening to this guy, right? I call that yeah. I call that we-we syndrome. When, when we talk about we do this and we have that. Mm-hmm. And and we were so fascinated by introducing us with introducing ourselves that until the buyer gets totally bored and says, "Look, I don't have time for this." Well, it demonstrates a complete lack of interest about the buyer, and that's the thing with sort of the pitching is that, and yeah, and I love the the pitch slapping is <laughs> is yeah, yeah I said just complete lack of interest. It's like this assumption that, well, I am the answer, but we haven't really figured out what the question is yet. But I am the answer. And to be right? fair, yeah. though, the, the reps are being driven that way by their own management. And the management oh, yeah. no, is, I'm, this is driven is not... that way by their product managers who, who say, if you talk enough about the product, uh, the, it'll sell itself because it's so fantastic. <laughs> but really, yeah, what I... the buyer wants to know is they're not interested in who you are, what company you work for, how many employees you got, how many locations you work in, and what you, who your customers are. All they want to know is what's in it for me, which problem of mine will you solve for me, and how quickly and how much will it cost me? Yeah. Well, and I just wanted to go back, take a step back, is that because you sort of touched on, I know you you weren't doing this, but it, it triggered a thought, is, is that, yeah, there's this shaming that goes on. You see this on LinkedIn is, you know, people criticize these behaviors that we're talking about here today as if, you know, this was innate human behavior. It's not. Yeah, you know, sellers are <laughs> sellers are trained to act this way. Yeah, yeah. You don't you you don't come out of <laughs> into the world as yeah you know, with salesy behavior like this. Is this is how we were trained and acclimate and socialize sellers to sell? So if there's going to be a culture change in this, it it doesn't really start with the sellers, though it can to some degree, but it has to start at the senior levels to say, yeah, we're we don't want to act this way anymore. Because our buyers are telling us their tolerance for it is slipping away, if not completely gone, as you talk about. Exactly right. <clears throat> so so what, what's happening is that sales leaders are driven by their CEOs. The CEOs are driven by the board. The board's driven by the shareholders. Everybody's looking at the quarterly returns and the, and the, um, the, the P&L right? on a quarterly basis. So mm. that's an inward-looking focus. So, so a lot of organizations are saying, oh, no, we're totally customer-focused, but they're not acting that way. 
it's just lip service. They're yeah. actually act, acting totally inward looking, measuring the way that we want to sell and our achievements and our, our results. And, and, um, and that's the way it trickles down to the sales leader. Then from the sales leader, it's being passed down to the sales rep. Quick, get your quota by the end of the month, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and as, at the, by the way, there's a bit of a dichotomy there. You know, I talked about this offline as well, um, that at the beginning of the quarter, the sales leader might say, get to know your customer, you know, find out more about <laughs> yes. them, engage with them in a meaningful way, you know. And then two oh, weeks before the end help. of the quarter, it's like, get the sale, quick, close the deal. <laughs> and, right. and, and, you know, this poor sales rep will just try to close the deal and put pressure on the customer and the customer will be, will be getting a different experience than they had at the beginning of the quarter, you know, and it confuses the hell out of people. And, and actually, this enchants a lot of buyers um, who don't want to be pressured into buying something just because it's an arbitrary deadline for the buyer, for the seller. Oh, yeah. I mean, you must have a story of having to been forced to do that yourself at some point in your career. Yeah, every sales rep has, right, where they go, get the deal, close them again, you know, call them every day until they close. <laughs> my my worst one, if you will, is like first or second year in sales, uh, selling computer systems to, to business. And it was coming up on the end of June. And so the manager of the office I worked in, uh, branch office, his bonus was not calendar year, like yeah, everybody else was for President's Club and so on. His bonus was based on a contest in May and June, a big bonus. So basically anything that wasn't nailed to the floor got shipped to the customers sometime <laughs> during May and June. And, and so he had this, for, you know, not to date myself too horribly, one of the big ways that managers made their, their bonus was by selling upgrades. And these were hardware upgrades. So right. in this case it was, it was, uh, <laughs> We called a disk pack. And so it was 64 megabytes of storage <laughs> for about $64,000. Um, and it's in this container, yeah, this machine, that massive machine that was about five feet high and, and you couldn't wrap your arms around it. And he had one that he wanted to move and he decided that so one customer of mine was going to buy it. <laughs> and, you know, before the end of the month. And so on the Friday, last day of the month, he says, I want you to go over to that guy's office and get the order. And I go over to the office. The guy laughs at me. He says, and he wasn't terribly pleased with us anyway. Oh. Sends me back to the office. Unfortunately, the office was only about less than a mile away from this guy's. My office was less than a half mile from his. And the manager kicked me out, sent me back. If I get to the point about midday, the manager is yelling. He says, don't come, my manager, don't come back. Seriously, Andy, don't come back if you don't get the order. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> and I think back on those days, and it's just like, you know, A, I hated it, as yeah. you would. Um, uh, the sad part is I did get the order because <laughs> I did. I, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> because I ended up sitting on the guy's car in the parking lot. And he saw me there for like two hours sitting on his car out the window. Um, he finally sort of relented after we gave him a humongous discount. But, you know, those type of things, it's just, yeah, it's all about sellers. Nothing about, yeah. nothing about 
the buyers. I, I can probably contribute a bit of a story as well, because at, at, at one organization I was working for, a multinational um, global organization, the, um, the end of the month loomed and the buyer had actually placed an order, but we didn't have the stock that they had ordered. Mm-hmm. So what the rep did was he, he packed up some bricks into a cardboard box and shipped that. <laughs> and, and told them and told them what he did he tell them what he was doing no no he said the it's on on its way to you right and you know <laughs> so, and um and so when the when the box arrived they said oh it's just got some bricks in it and they said oh we sent you the wrong box very sorry <laughs> in the meantime could you pay us for this <laughs> well the purchase order was in the system right that's why the box yeah. got shipped but but the um the thing was that the sending the bricks delayed the customer, which then gave us enough time to get the, the thing into stock and actually give them the real thing. But uh, th- those are things that, that customers don't appreciate and sales reps are being forced into doing just because they've got to hit the quota by the end of the month and the customer's an afterthought. Yeah, well, I, I remember the moment, again, it's pretty early in my career, I said, I am never doing this again. Mm. <laughs> you and me was, both. <laughs> which was, there was a, customer they're supposed to send in a uh, an order is yeah pretty sizable order he was an existing customer this was an upgrade an add-on to uh, the system they had and it was supposed to have happened before christmas break and his company was shutting down between christmas and new year's as often was the case and he didn't get the order in so i had to call him at home on Christmas Eve <laughs> when the middle of he and his family were celebrating Christmas on Christmas Sitting Eve. around the dinner table. <laughs> Jesus. I had to call my I mean I had the CEO of the company in my office, you know, <laughs> doing everything but putting my hand on the phone and, and pressing the numbers. And I had a great relationship with this customer. And that was the end of it. Mm. I mean we got the order. Mm. But he never spoke to but, you again. Yeah. Well, he spoke to me, but it was never the same. I mean, yeah. they, they they churned to another vendor within a year. Yeah. Makes you wonder why the CEO didn't pick up the phone himself if it was so important to him, right? Because they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason. They don't do that. They're too important, I see. <laughs> Again, yeah. that, that, that goes to customer centricity, not, right? Where, yeah. Where they say, look, I don't want to touch the customer. They're dirty. Ugh, just I just want their money, you know? So, so it's, it's, as you say, Andy, it's totally a cultural thing. Company culture. Well, I think it's the way that the culture has to change, starting from the top. You said it's hard to do when you're on the bus and the wheels are moving, but there may not be any alternative. The, the sad truth is that the typical change management curve says things will get worse before you get better um, when you introduce change into, an, into anything, into a process or into mm-hmm. an, an organization. Now, no manager wants to be the one that manages downward change, Worse. right? And they all want to report how they're growing the business and how they've got right. more, more revenue, more profits. Nobody wants to say, oh, look, it's, um, we're, we're getting down, we're, getting, we're going worse, but it's, it's okay, you know? Um, right. Because they all have personal bonuses attached to it. They, they all have their personal and professional reputation attached to it, their, their personal brand. They want to be upwardly mobile. No, nobody wants to be known as the manager that managed uh, downward, right? <clears throat> but, but the... Um, what, what I'm saying is that right now, right now with the pandemic, is the ideal time for organizations, CEOs, C-suite leaders 
even sales leaders to to rethink the way they're doing things because right now they have a one-off chance to change something without being penalized for it. You'd think, right? You'd think. Yeah. I mean, but it takes leadership. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I think given all the turmoil that's that's happened in sales over the last year is, you know, people going from you know, fully remote, fully virtual, digital or mostly virtual digital, now maybe going back to some to hybrid, but but you're right. I mean, this is perhaps a once in a career opportunity to say, yeah, we're going to bite the bullet and we we are going to change things because we really have no choice because I think you're absolutely right is my belief is and and based on what I conversations I have and the people I talk to is that yeah, the buyers buyers are looking for something different. And to your point is as you talked about in some of your writing is it's it's they want to be helped. They don't want to be <laughs> they don't want to be pushed, they want to be helped. Well, think about how you buy or how we I do, yeah. how, how you would like to be sold to, right? You you, you don't want to be um, as Tony Hughes puts it, um, have somebody jump out of the bushes at you and uh, and uh, assault you with a with a pitch, right? Right. Um, what what you want is to understand that you have a need, to to do your own research, then to talk to somebody whom you perceive as a subject matter expert in the in in the area, to advise, guide, and help you to make an informed buying decision. That's what people want. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're getting. Right. So, so coming back to the sales funnel from 1898, what, what we need to do now is to say, okay, what does that sales funnel actually look like from the buyer's perspective? Right. And, and I call it the buyer-focused sales funnel. And, it, and it, it's, it's kind of it's, – it's actually not rocket science. <laughs> it's, it's we, we go, who's our ideal buyer? Right. Where do they hang out? How mm-hmm. do we get to them? Now, getting to them is the easy part, as we all know. Technology can get you there. Can, you can get anybody's phone number, email address, whatever, um, LinkedIn right. profile. Right? Getting to them is not the issue. Engaging with them in a meaningful way when you do get to them, that's the issue. Right? So you need to have something to intrigue them with, something to compel them with, not bash them over the head with something they don't want to know. Right? So I always say, if you can say one thing, if you can say one thing in your first call, whether it's a cold call or first email or LinkedIn outreach, doesn't matter. If you can say one thing that intrigues them, one thing that makes them prick up their ears and go, oh, Andy, I want to know more about that. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I call it a lean forward moment when, when they lean forward literally and say, Andy, tell me more. Right? Right. Um, because right. at that point, at that point, Andy, they've given you their explicit permission to start selling to them, not before simply because they, you got them curious and you, you got them to ask a question. Right? So, so most sellers get it wrong at this very first point of contact where they start talking about themselves and they develop wee-wee syndrome. Right? But what I advocate for is that they don't even say who they are, what they do, and their company or anything, or the product for that matter, but to just say what, the one thing that, that makes customers lean forward, and this is what I teach my clients, that, that what's the one thing you can say within 15 seconds that, that makes somebody say, oh, okay, tell me more, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so once we engage with them, we then want to draw them into a business conversation, not to sales, sales conversation. We want to fend off our competitors. We want to get the deal. We want to turn once-off customers into repeat customers. 
and we want to turn repeat customers into advocates for our business who refer new business to us as well. Right. And, and all that is is what I call the buyer-focused sales funnel, and it just basically helps the buyer to be drawn into a business conversation to keep them there to win the deal and turn them into advocates. Right. So when you're talking about the one thing that you say, it's just so people are clear. I mean, that's it's going to be unique to your business. It's, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. it's not one thing. There's nothing in your book that says, hey, here's the one thing. But it is something you said that I like to say. It's it's you know, you know something about their business or you're asking them something about their business that they likely should know the answer to, but oftentimes don't. Well look, if if it's it's like this. <clears throat> if if you're an executive, you're you're painfully aware that you don't know everything. And and, right. and because you're senior, you're quite happy to to admit that, right? Because it's just a fact of life and you don't have um, much ego to worry about, hopefully. Um, so you're always open to, to being um, informed by somebody whom you perceive as a subject matter expert to make you aware mm-hmm. of, a, of an opportunity that you weren't aware of before or to warn you off of a risk that you weren't aware of either, right? So, so if, if you make me aware of a risk that I'm exposed to and I, I don't know about it, I want to know what, what this risk looks like and how bad it is. Mm-hmm. If Equally, if you say to me, here's an opportunity for you to increase your revenue – substantially, I'd say, look, I'm, I'm interested. But the problem is you can't just say we increase your revenue and hope for them to be intrigued by that because <laughs> everybody, everybody says, says that yeah. everybody says right. it and it's, it's a bit of right. motherhood, right? But, right. Um, but if, <clears throat> if you can just say one thing that, um, that's, uh, that says to them, okay, I want some of that, or at least I'm interested in knowing more about that, then as I said, then you can talk about how you do it and what your products and services look like and, and how other customers like them have, have had a positive experience and so on, right? And, mm-hmm. and by the way, storytelling comes into that in a big way. And, and I have a very simple formula for, for storytelling. I actually systematize it for, for people, for my clients. Okay. And, and I say, start off with, describe the situation that you found the customer in when you first met. The, mm-hmm. the, the challenges they had, and very importantly, not just the challenges that they had, but also the consequences of those challenges. Right. So, so mm-hmm. for example, let's say you're, you're talking to a, a CIO, and you've got a, 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 a piece of um, an app or a piece of kit that that uh, solves a particular problem. Then you, you you describe the problem that the customer had beforehand, but you also describe the consequences on the CIO in, in that organization in that story. Mm-hmm. So that the the CIO you're talking to can re, can relate to his colleagues' experience and say, oh, I don't want that to happen to me, right? right? And and by making it a little bit personal, it it actually intrigues them. It makes them lean forward and say, tell me more, because I don't I don't want that happening to me. How can I avoid mm-hmm. that? So we describe the situation in terms of what was the problem that the the um, organization had, what consequence did that have on the organization as well as on the individuals in the organization, particularly the ones that are like the person you're talking to. Next is then what we did for them. So we implemented our XYZ within three months and you know, blah, blah, blah. And very importantly then, what changed for the customer as a consequence. Mm-hmm. Right? So very simple three-step formula, what they looked like when we came to them, their problems and challenges, what we did for them, and what changed for them. And, and everybody can tell that story. And, and the, the, the key is that neither to the buyer nor to the seller will it feel like a sales pitch. Because we're just telling a story. Yeah, and I, I really like that. I mean, I and so I I have a 
fourth step in there. You're three. Take the money. The fourth. <laughs> no, no. The, the fourth. The fourth is before talk about what value the the buyer received from from um, you know purchasing your product and implementing it. Is I like to add why they decided on you. Ah, good one. I like that. Yes. Okay. So yeah, as you said, pre-state, you know, pre-change state condition, you know, what, what the challenge was. And then just insert before you get that last step about why? the value they received is, so they based their decision on X and then here's what we delivered. Here's the value they got from it. And you're, you're sort of implanting that a little bit, framing that in, in the buyer's mind. I like that. Yeah. So maybe my, my three-step process has just become four steps. Or three point five. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have that that one laid out yeah. um, in in I think in my second book, and amp up your sales. But it it's funny. You know, it, some people who are story quote unquote story experts, you know, think it's too simple. And my point is, is well, a that's <laughs> that's exactly what you want. I think one of the reasons that not enough sellers use stories is we try to make it too complex. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, when you have something that's just three or four steps that. I say you should be able to tell that story in 30 seconds or less. Yeah. But but even <clears throat> look the, the the comment about most people don't tell stories is because they're driven to talk about the product or the service that they're offering not not about what impact that has and what what consequence what exactly. outcome that produces for the for the end user for the customer. Right. And right. and this is where I think that uh, that we need to get away from the old sales funnel that's inward looking and and focused on how we want to sell and how we want to measure our sales to the buyer-focused sales funnel, which is saying, Let, let's help the buyer to buy from us. Yeah, and, and the thing that's different with your funnel, which is in line with sort of the direction that we see a lot of selling going, is it's, it's more of a continuum between marketing and sales. It's more of a go-to-market-oriented type, and not go-to-market purely in the sense of, of you know, how we're delivering the product to market, but go-to-market in the more contemporary sense of, looking at this whole issue of, of sort of the buyer and the journey they're going through and also what happens you know, as well after the sale, right? Yep. It's, um, it, it's kind of a, a framework for that encompasses sort of sales and marketing, go-to-market, customer and prospect engagement. But it, it's, it's basically saying how can we make selling more natural to the buyer and, and by the way, also more, more pleasant to the seller because, right. because some of that, that, that pressure – it's just uh, just not there, right? So if we just quickly go through sort of the ten steps top, and you got your brand promise yep. step one, product service second, value proposition third. I mean that's all yeah marketing oriented. The next Absolutely. one really is too is sort of the prospects, right? Yeah, who are they? Who is that ideal client profile? Exactly the, the personas. So that's that's kind of kind of in the realm of marketing as well, right? Then it gets interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, your first four steps in your 10 step funnel are marketing. Your last two steps are customer success or customer experience. And as you said, turning your clients into advocates. Mm-hmm. So, when you look at the sales funnel, huh, less than half of it really has to do with sales. So, I, I was tempted to call it this marketing funnel um, just after my book, but uh, but I thought then I have to explain what's marketing is first. So, I'm just calling it the biofocused <laughs> sales funnel. Keep it very simple. But you're absolutely right. It's 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 not just focusing on how sales can sell smarter. It's actually how, how can we as an organization align around the buyer and get more from the same resources that we already have. 
and doing it over the life cycle, yep. right? Because you're taking them not only to become repeat customers, but as you said, to have them become advocates or ambassadors or allies, however the term you want to use, for you and your products. Yeah, and some people um, um, don't draw it as a funnel. Some people draw it as a bow tie, where they say that um, you know at the end it, it uh, flares out again because you're getting more business from your repeat customers and from your referred customers. But, mm-hmm, I, but mm-hmm. again, I just Andy, I just wanted to keep it simple and say, here's a way of uh, of looking at the the way we sell and the way the customers buy that utilizes our existing resources yet gives us a better result. Yeah. I like the buyer-focused bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to rewrite your book, Peter. It's, it's we need to put that bow tie in there. Uh, okay, um, I've got homework. But uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I am heartened because I am seeing yeah in this book and some other uh, books that people are putting together is is that. We're seeing more acknowledgement now of the fact that a change needs to happen. That buyers are driving this this change in terms of change in terms of how buyers want to make decisions about products they buy, and that what sellers do has to be more aligned with what the buyers want to do. Well, and I, I I I sort of think about it even in the context of. I see buying as sort of a three-step thing that happens uh, without spending a lot of time getting into it. But regardless of the number of steps is shouldn't there just be one process? And buyers and sellers go through this process together. It should be the same process. They should have the same steps. Why are they different? Why do why are we as sellers sort of denominating the steps in our, our sales process different than the steps the buyer goes through. They it, should be the same. The, the mind boggles, doesn't it? It's, it just doesn't make sense. But So if you're a sales manager and, and you're asking your sellers, well, where in the pipeline, where in the funnel is this buyer? Hmm. That says nothing really about where the buyer is in their own decision-making process. No, and that, and that's, so it, that's why in CRM what, systems you get messy pipelines, right? And, and junk in there sure. that, that will never come to fruition, just get push, pushed out from one month to the next. So if we, want to be modern, if we want to be modern about this, is just say, look, as a, as a company, you could just do this on a company level and say, look, this is, this is how we envision. This is, this is how we see our buyers go but, through But it. look, Andy, yeah, I, five, and, Andy, I think secretly everybody knows that it's not right to ambush the buyer out of, of run, jumping out of the bushes and, and hitting them up with a sales pitch, right? We, everybody really knows that, <clears throat> but we still do it because everybody else is doing it, right? So, so, so the, oh, the, the okay. thing is… The thing is that right now, and I say it again, right now, right here, we have a unique, maybe once in a generation opportunity to do something different without being penalized for it, right? That we can blame it all on the pandemic. We can say, look, the, the, the market changed, the buyers changed, the, um, all my customers are, have been infected, whatever it is, right? But, but you have a once in a lifetime opportunity to say, we, we can, things are going bad anyway, Let's make sure that when, when we come out of it, we're, we're better off than, when we, than what we were before. So, right. so, so the pandemic is a unique catalyst for change, and, and we really need to make, uh, t- take advantage of it because it's right here, right now, and next year it might not be there anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't disagree. It's just like, okay, well, what's, what's the real trigger to make that happen, though? Well, as you said, <clears throat> I think it's got to come from the top. Right. So, you, yeah, you, as, so as, as a CEO, as a VP of sales, as a CRO, you, you got to actually act like a leader, not just a manager. 
and, and you've got to stand up and want to be counted and, and want to make a difference and not just do more of the same, hoping that, that you get a different result. It's, yeah. it's a matter of leadership. Oh, it is. Absolutely. I, I, I put them into two camps. Is, you know, there's leaders and there's bosses. And we've got lots of bosses. We have a shortage of leaders. Yeah. But, but this is what I'm saying. If, if you're a CEO, if you're a CRO, if you're a VP of sales, here's your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make a name for yourself by doing something different and doing something right and not just keep doing the same thing. Yeah. Oh, well, you not, don't sound hopeful, Eddie. <laughs> well, it, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's funny you say that because actually I am hopeful, maybe just because I am you know, optimistic by nature, but but – Yes, it has to come. The culture change has to come from the top, and it's. And I think we haven't solved the problem that we've talked about today yet. Is not that you and I were going to solve it, but is yeah. How do we get you know the very top echelons of companies to recognize that it's broken? Because what happens is, as you said, they keep on doing the same old thing. For a lot of companies, it's sort of good enough. Mm. Um but it's not nearly as good as it could be. But come on, Andy, they, they know it's broken, right? They're, it, they're just wearing sure, the new clothes. But the, right, but the pain, is not, the pain is not enough to make them want to change. Absolutely. Plus, because they're still getting paid. They're still getting paid and they're still getting the bonuses for, a, for, a, yeah. for, this, for the behavior that we're, you know, right. that we're talking about right now, right? Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> why I said, that's sort of the, the conundrum, but, right? Because, but, but I tell you what, Andy, so, so there, is, there is a silver lining at the horizon, right? And, 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 okay. that's, and that's in mid-market businesses. Because those businesses are not run by shareholders, and and they're uh, they're they still have a, a founder in them that uh, that's run the business forever, and 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 they can make change happen, because simply because they they decide that that's what they want to do, and I've I can give you um, success stories from a lot of um, mid market businesses in in both um, North America, USA, and and Australia, APAC, where, where they actually used the biofocused sales funnel and they had a, a super result as a consequence. So, mm-hmm. so, so we can start a revolution. We don't have to start with um, global multi- multinationals, but but we can show the multinationals that it's possible, and it, it actually you get very quick results as well if if you just dare to make the change, and right. and 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 show them that it's possible, and so they don't have to be uh, risk averse and fearful. Yeah, I mean it's and I'm just thinking. Yeah, we got these various segments. I think, I think the change made actually start probably in non-tech sectors because uh, it's. I think we have a harder nut to crack in in the tech world, especially in the SaaS world, in terms of changing behaviors. It's entrenched, you're right. Yeah, and I think it's there are cracks appearing, and you see it in some companies that are you know, openly talking about. Yeah, we've been executing this playbook for 15, 20 years, and yeah, it's showing its age, and it's, it hasn't evolved to, to match the way the customers are evolving. <coughs> so I, I do see, I do see promising signs. Uh, but like everybody, I just sort of anxious and impatient for things to move faster. Look, the uh, I I agree with you that the tech sector will be the hardest nut to crack, simply because of the, what you said, but also because everybody is looking for an app to solve the problem right now, right? That everybody's relying on their martech, on on their sales tech, and, and and 
you know, the reg taken <laughs> everything else because they, they think if, if I just buy this license, a miracle will occur and everything will come good. And, and right. that, because that's what it's sold like as well, right? You just pay, just sign here right. and, and a miracle will occur. Right. And, and it really it takes a bit of a wake up call for, for senior executives to realize that just because they spend X million dollars on technology will not solve a problem. Mm -hmm. you, you know, as I mentioned in my book, you've got right. to address the, the trinity of people, process, and technology. And, and I dare say that probably in that order, people first, process second, and technology third, mm -hmm. not, not the, the tail wagging the dog where the technology wants to lead the people. Um, so that, that, that's another bit of my soapbox moment here. But, but, the, um, but I think if, if you look at it yeah. holistically, so if, if you don't agree with me with the sequence and with the, with the priority, but, but even if you just look at it at your organization holistically, you've you got people, process, and, and technology in there. If you just focus on any one of those, it's not, you're not going to get success. You've got to actually look at the trinity. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. All right, Peter, we're going to leave it there. Andy. We'll come back. We won't we'll have fewer fewer hurdles the next time make it easier for you to come back see you are an optimist um, <laughs> I, yeah, I am an optimist that's true uh, all right you know someday maybe what we'll do is we'll you know get this pandemic over with and yeah we'll do this in person absolutely Actually, I'd, I'd love spend to my whole week talking to people from Australia yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get on a plane and go there so Andy and I have been talking about wine Australian wine before I'll, I'll, I'll bring a bottle if, uh, if we ever meet in person <laughs> Well, it said if if they don't shut down Hawaii uh, because of the pandemic, which it sounds like they're doing, it's, that could be a yeah. So like in the middle, halfway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you can you can bring yeah. an American wine and I'll bring an Australian wine and we we have a shootout. Or I'll buy the mai tais and you bring the wine. So. Oh, I love mai tais. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, all right, well, Andy. Peter. As always, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, how's the best way to connect with you? Well, I'm on peterstrokeop.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I'm on Twitter. You can't really escape me. You can find me anywhere. All right. No escape from Peter Strokor. Peter, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. It was a great pleasure to be here again, and let's do it again sometime. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm ever so grateful for your support of the show, and I want to thank my guest, Peter Strokor, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or every listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>